0: Lord Jesus, we thank you for another day to come together and to study your word. Lord, I pray that uh, as we do this, that you would send your spirit to work through your word and that we wouldn't be the same people, that you would convince us of our sin, that you would show us Christ, you would show us the gospel, and that you would show us how to live for you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do this now as we begin a new series this morning. We pray all these things in the holy and the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, folks. Well, today I'm going to unveil the mystery that I teased last week. I said I didn't know what series we were going to be doing this week. Uh, We finished our sacrament series last week, and that was a wonderful series. I very much enjoyed it. And so now we are turning to a new series, and you finally get to know what it is. Uh, We are going to be looking now in the coming weeks at the book of Hebrews. That's the subject of our series. And so I hope that you will enjoy this series, too, because I'm certainly going to. Uh, I love... The book of Hebrews. It is one of my favorite books of scripture. In fact, I was listening to a lecture one time by R.C. Sproul, and in that lecture he was saying that if he theoretically were locked and trapped on some particular island someplace, and he could only have one book of scripture with him on that island, guess which book he wanted to have? That's right, it was the book of Hebrews. It wasn't Genesis, it wasn't Romans or Ephesians, although he loved all those books too, and I, I love all those books also, uh, but it was the book of Hebrews that Sproul wanted to have on that island. And I can you know, sort of somewhat echo that, that sentiment, because the book of Hebrews is such a wonderful book of scripture. I think um, if you guys have been paying attention, as I've taught and preached here over the, the last almost two years now, you guys know that I have a very special and particular love for the Old Testament. I think that's probably come out in some of, my, some of my teachings and preachings here, and maybe you picked up on that. I just love the Old Testament. Not that I don't like the New Testament, too. Of course, I, I love everything in the New Testament, but I have a particular fascination with the Old Testament. I love the Hebrew language. I love reading my Hebrew Bible. I love learning other Semitic languages like Aramaic and Akkadian and Ugaritic. I'm studying at seminary just to to increase my knowledge of Hebrew and my understanding of of that world. I take as many Old Testament electives as I can at RTS because I want to understand more and more of of that part of Scripture. I just love it. And so part of the reason why I I chose the book of Hebrews as our next series is a selfish reason. And that reason is because I love the Old Testament but I also want to get us into the New Testament too. And so I thought Hebrews actually makes a great uh, sort of middle ground there because Hebrews is all about the Old Testament. In fact, this book is all about how the Old Testament and the New Testament relate to each other. And so we're going to see that as we make our way through this book in the coming weeks because Hebrews is zealous to proclaim to us that Jesus is superior to everything in the Old Testament. Not that the things that God prescribed in the Old Testament were bad or that they were faulty, as if God made a mistake and he now needs to correct it with the New Testament. No. But what the author of Hebrews is trying to say is that everything in the Old Testament the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood, all of those things we're pointing forward to the coming of Christ. He is the fulfillment. He is the superior thing to all of those other things, okay? And so in the book of Hebrews, not only do we sort of see the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, but we see our savior and Lord Jesus Christ exalted, exalted high above everything else. And so quite frankly, I can't think of a better thing for us to study than the Old Testament and the New Testament and the exaltation of Christ. That sounds really fun to me, and I hope it sounds really fun to you, because that's what we're going to do in these coming weeks. And so before we get into our subject matter for today, I just want you to know, my general big picture plan as we deal with this book is to spend something like one to two weeks on each chapter. Now, sometimes that's going to feel like a lot of text, other times it's not. And we really could spend, you know, an entire week on each verse of this book because there's going to be so much packed in here. But we're, I'm not going to do that because it just take way too long. Right? We want to get the gist of what's in this book and then go on to other things. So my task is to basically take, you know, one to two weeks for each chapter. That's going to be the goal of the series. All right. With that being said. We're going to do uh, sort of an introductory session to the book of Hebrews this morning. You guys know that when I teach a book, when well, we taught Colossians, when I taught Zechariah and so on, I like to do for our first session sort of an introductory big picture look at the book before we dive into going verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look first of all at introductory issues to the book of Hebrews. So we're going to look at you know who wrote the book. We're going to look at who the book is about title, or who the book is written to. Uh, We're going to look at the purpose of the book, and then we're also going to look, secondly, at the structure of the book. How is it put together, and what are the major sections, what are the major themes? And so, basically, everything that we're talking about this morning is stuff you just kind of want to keep revolving around in the back of your mind as we then look more more particularly at smaller portions of the book uh, throughout the series. All right. That being said... Let's take a look here at our first section. We're going to look at introductory issues. And the first thing that I want to look at here with respect to the book of Hebrews is the author. Let me just ask you, who wrote Hebrews? What, is, what does Hebrews say? Who wrote it? <laughs> we don't know. All right, sorry, that was a trick question. No, we, we don't know who wrote it. The book of Hebrews is anonymous. Now, that's not rare in Scripture. There are lots of books that are anonymous. For example, we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Judges. We don't know who wrote 1 and 2 Samuel. We don't know who wrote 1 and 2 Kings. And we could go on and on. There's a lot of books, especially in the Old Testament, that do not have their authors explicitly listed. And because of that then, when we come to Hebrews, we see Hebrews doesn't have an author listed. And so that has motivated many pastors and commentators and so on to try to come up with solutions to that question. Who wrote Hebrews? So they sort of analyze the book and try to figure out who wrote it. And probably the most commonly suggested author for this book is the Apostle Paul. Um, That was a popular opinion in the early church. And there are a lot of people today who also think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Now, that's one option. Some people also suggest maybe it was Barnabas who wrote this. Remember, Barnabas is one of Paul's companions in the book of Acts when he was going on his missionary journeys. So maybe he wrote it. Uh, Some people say Apollos, another figure in the book of Acts. Some people say Clement of Rome, who was a very important uh, Christian in the early church, wrote uh, very, very important uh, works. So some people say it was him. Other people say maybe it was Priscilla and Aquila, who were two very prominent Christians in the book of Romans at the very end of that book. So there's lots of different options. And some people have even suggested maybe that the author of this book is Luke. Not the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Now, just full disclosure, I'm sort of inclined to see Luke as the potential author of this book. But with that being said, we don't know who it is. Okay? All of these are just good guesses. We don't know for sure. But there's one thing that we do know. About this author. Well one major thing I should say. We know a number of things by reading the book of Hebrews. That we could point to. But one major thing about this author we do know. And that is this. That in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. Our author. Whoever he is. Says. That he did not. Make up. The information that's contained. In the book of Hebrews. He didn't just make it up. Where did he get it from? What does it say there? Spoken by the Lord. Okay, spoken by the Lord, right? Confirmed by those who heard. It was confirmed by those who heard him. So essentially, what this author is saying is that he received all of this teaching from the apostles. He received all of the teaching that he has given here from the apostles. Now, just as a side note, that's part of, one of the reasons why I'm not quite sure Paul was the one who wrote this since Paul says very explicitly in Galatians he did not receive his teachings from the apostles. He received them directly from Christ. But that's a side note. The point here is that whoever the author of Hebrews is, he is saying he did not make this stuff up. This stuff comes directly from The very messengers that Jesus himself appointed. So the content of the book of Hebrews is what we would call apostolic. That is, it is of the teaching of the apostles. And therefore, it is of divine authority. This book is not outside of scripture. This book is part of scripture. This is apostolic doctrine. And so even though we can't point to a specific person and say... We know that this person wrote it, or we know that person wrote it. What we can do is we can say, the Holy Spirit wrote this. This is God's doctrine. And so this is authoritative for us. And we're going to see, as we go through this series, this book is going to prove itself to be divine. This book is going to prove itself to be godly, biblical, apostolic doctrine. And guess what? The early church recognized it. And that's why it was in their canon of scripture. They saw that God was in this book, and we're going to see that too, I hope. All right, so that's the author. Bottom line, we don't know who it is, but it is of Scripture. Secondly, then, let's look at the recipients. Who's this book written to? Well, you can kind of see basically in the title of the book, right? It's written as the epistle to the Hebrews. So this book is very much written to Jews. It's written specifically to Jewish Christians, Uh, Basically, those Jews who have recently become Christians, those who have recently accepted Christ and have, have entered into this new covenant. But these Jewish Christians, as you read the book, are Christians that the author of Hebrews is very careful to call to Christ. In other words, these Jewish Christians that the author is writing to are in danger of falling back into their old Jewish tendencies. They're in danger of going back, of apostatizing, and giving up Christ, the sacrificial lamb, to re-embrace the other sacrificial lambs of the ceremonial law. And so these Christians essentially are in danger of falling away. They're in danger of being apostates. And so one of the goals of the author of Hebrews is to convince these people that they need Christ. Now, why would you go back to the Old Testament? Why would you go back to the ceremonial laws, all the sacrifices and the temple worship and all this business? Why would you do that when you have Christ, the reality right now, who has come? Why would you want all of these old things when Jesus, the fullness of those things, has come? See, that's what the author wants to convince his readers of. That's why we have all this Old Testament stuff in this book. He's trying to show these Jews who are considering going back to the old ways to say, no, don't do that. Why would you want all that stuff? Those things are shadows. The blood of bulls and goats. Yeah, that can't take away your sins. The sacrificing of bulls and goats was simply a reminder of sins each year. Rather, what you need is the blood of Jesus, because that can take away sins once and for all. And that's just one example of one of the points that our author makes in chapter 10. But throughout the whole book, he's going to make tons and tons of arguments showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament in a vast array of ways. And quite frankly, I am shocked at Well, I really shouldn't be shocked because this is God's word. But on a human level, I'm shocked at the genius of some of the arguments that our author makes. And we're going to see some of those. I think especially of the argument that he makes about Melchizedek and how Jesus is a superior priest after the order of Melchizedek. That argument that we're going to see in chapter 7 is nothing short of genius. I'm excited to to look at that. But you see, that's what our author is concerned about here. He wants to convince Jews, hold to Christ. Don't go back to the old ways. Jesus is superior to everything in the Old Testament. And so we know the recipients here are Jewish Christians for that reason. The title of the book, uh, we have in the book here extensive allusions and images to the Old Testament. We have a whole bunch of quotations From the Old Testament, we're going to see that basically what our author does is he uses the Old Testament as proof texts. If he wants to prove a point, what does he do? He quotes an Old Testament passage. These are Jewish readers that he's appealing to who recognize the authority of the Old Testament. That's why they want to go back to the Old Ceremonies because they see them in the Old Testament, And the author of Hebrews says, yeah, obviously, God gave us these ceremonies. He gave us the sacrifices. He gave us the temple. Those things are good in and of themselves, but they're incomplete. They're not perfect in the sense of they're not fully carried through. Jesus is the perfect. Jesus is the fullness. Jesus is the one that you need. So we're writing here, the author's writing here to Jewish Christians also another thing that I think is kind of interesting is that in this book the author writes about Melchizedek as I mentioned a moment ago. Now we've I think most of us have probably heard of Melchizedek before simply because we talk about him a lot when we're talking about Jesus and his priesthood. But if we didn't have the book of Hebrews, right? Melchizedek is a quite frankly a very obscure Old Testament figure. Because he only shows up once in Genesis and then once in the Psalms. And when he does show up, it's sort of in passing. Very small. Very small amount of text devoted to him. And so when our author here starts making all these arguments about Melchizedek, essentially what he's doing is he's grabbing some very obscure Old Testament figure and showing, boom, this guy is a type of Christ. Boom, this guy shows us Christ. And then he makes this long genius argument with it. He's writing to people who have a profound understanding of the Old Testament. And by the way, that is one of the reasons why studying this book together right now is so important. Because if we don't understand the book of Hebrews, we're not going to have a very profound understanding of the Old Testament. We're going to see the Old Testament as essentially a whole bunch of interesting historical stories That maybe teach us some good moral lessons. That's essentially what the Old Testament is for many Christians today. It's just a collection of moral lessons. Now, in the Old Testament, it does teach moral lessons. James, for example, uses Elijah as an example. A moral example for Christians to follow in how to pray. So we can see the apostles using the Old Testament as moral examples. That's right. That's good. But... That is not all that the Old Testament is. Nor is it maybe what we could say primarily what the Old Testament is. It's not just a collection of stories to teach us how to live a moral life. It's more than that. When you read Hebrews, what you find is that our author here sees everything in the Old Testament as pointing forward to Jesus. He sees the temple As a kind of picture of heaven. He sees the sacrificial lamb. As a type of the sacrificial lamb. On the mercy seat of Calvary. He sees everything that's happening in the Old Testament. The sacrifices. The priesthood. Melchizedek. All of this stuff. As ultimately finding its true fulfillment and meaning. In the coming. And in the person. And in the work of Jesus. And it's not just the author of Hebrews that does this. Paul does this too. And so do the other apostles like Peter. They're always looking for Christ in the Old Testament. And they're doing that not because they felt like it was some pious thing to do. But they're doing that because Jesus taught them to do that. When he said that everything in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. That is in the entire Old Testament was all pointing to him. And so our author here is doing that very thing. He is searching for Christ in the Old Testament exactly the way that we should do it. So that is the audience here. That's what um, the people that our author is writing to. Now, uh, the last thing under the introductory matters here is just to look at the purpose of the book. We've sort of touched on this a a minute ago, but I want to bring this up here. The purpose of the book of Hebrews, the reason why the author is writing is sort of twofold. Essentially, you could say it's two things. Uh, The first reason is theological, and the second reason is practical. And even as I make that distinction, just remember, it's never a good idea to separate theology from practice. You've got to keep those things together. In fact, good theology, if you really understand theology, if you really understand the teachings of Scripture, that's going to change the way you live. And if you're living a good life but you don't understand the theology behind it, you don't understand why you're doing it, you're not going to be living for the right reasons and it's not to the glory of God. So theology and practice are always going together. We don't want to separate them. But we can, as Calvin would say, distinguish them. In theology, the difference between a distinction and a separation is everything. That's a fundamental principle of good theology. And so here, we're not separating theology and practice, but we're distinguishing two purposes that our author has. The first purpose that he has is theological. It's doctrinal. He wants to teach something. And as we said a moment ago, what, what our author wants to teach is the absolute supremacy of Christ over everything. Now here... Our author is not just concerned with teaching us that Jesus is superior to pagan religions. Of course he is. Of course he's superior to Islam and Buddhism and Roman whatever, you know, we could fill in the blank with whatever religion Jesus is superior. Obviously that's the case. But what the author of Hebrews wants to do is show us that not only is Jesus superior to pagan religions, but Jesus is actually superior To the Old Testament itself. As I mentioned a moment ago. You can understand that in a wrong way. As if God made a mistake. In giving the Old Testament. And whoops. No I made a mistake here. That didn't work out. I guess I need to send Jesus as plan B. No that's not what Hebrews is talking about. What he's saying is that the Old Testament is incomplete. It is not an end in itself. The covenant that God made with Abraham. The covenant that God made with Moses, the covenant that God made with David were not primarily about the Israelite nation. They were all pointing forward to the coming of Christ. They were pointing forward to him as the fulfillment. And so what our author wants to show is that the Old Testament is incomplete. Don't go back to it. You need the New Testament. You need the coming of Christ. This is what you need. So that's the theological purpose. The practical purpose then goes right along with that, as we've been saying. The practical purpose is to keep his audience from turning away from the faith. To keep his audience from turning away from the faith. Why would you apostate and turn to Judaism or to any other religion if you can have Christ, which is superior to all of them? Now, I don't expect that many of us here in this room are under the influence of Judaism and that we are on the verge of turning and going back to Jewish practices of sacrificing and feasting and going to the temple and all that kind of business. I don't expect any of us are in that... Maybe you are, and I just don't know about it, but really, none of us are involved in that. However, many of us may be struggling or many of us may know people who are struggling. People who are on the verge of abandoning Christ for something that is far inferior to Him. A false religion, agnosticism, atheism, any of those things. If that's you or if that's someone you know, you need the book of Hebrews. You need this warning to hold fast to Christ who is greater than everything else. And so this book is profoundly important, not just to help our hermeneutics or to help us interpret the Bible or whatever, although all that is important. This book is needed for our assurance and for our perseverance in the faith. We want God to work through his word as we hear it, as it is preached to us, as it is taught to us, so that he will preserve us in the faith unto salvation. And so this book is profoundly applicable for us in terms of its practical purpose. All right. That is the basic introductory material to Hebrews. And in the last few minutes we've got here, I just want to go over Hebrews as a, in, in big picture. What is this book? What is its structure? What are sort of the main points of the book that we want to keep in mind as we go through and, and analyze things on a much more small technical level as we go through the book in the coming weeks? Well, first thing is to, um, consider for a second what Hebrews is. Uh, Hebrews... Some people have said that Hebrews is a letter. Kind of like Paul's letters. You know, Paul wrote letters and he would he was writing to the Ephesians, he would say, right, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, and etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to the saints who are in Ephesus. That's how Paul would open up his letters. And that's how Peter opens up his letters, too. However, you come to the book of Hebrews and you find that there's no opening address here, there's no letter. In fact, Hebrews opens up in a very strange way, honestly. You read the first words, and what does it say? Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through Jesus Christ. That's a pretty grand opening. It doesn't sound like a letter. In fact, it's led many commentators to say the book of Hebrews might actually be a sermon originally a kind of oral address given to the early church by somebody. And what we have here is essentially the transcript of that sermon. And so we could think about Hebrews that way. It is a sermon. It is a preaching of the text of Scripture and then a call to application, namely continue in the faith and hold fast to Christ. So as we look at this book, big picture-wise, going through this series, think about it something like an exhortation sermon. It is a call to you on the basis of Scripture to hold fast to Christ and is presented in that sort of way. In fact, the author of papers will sometimes claim, you know, I'd like to elaborate on this more, but I'm running out of time. That doesn't sound like something you'd write in a letter. That sounds like something you would say if you're giving a speech. In fact, I say that a lot of times when I'm preaching and when I'm teaching. I'll say, oh, I'm running out of time. I don't have time to spend you know, more time on this subject. And some of you are very glad that I don't have more time to spend on certain subjects because you want to get out of here. But think about the book of Hebrews like that, like a a sermon. And so as as we look at the outline then, bringing this uh, subject to a close here this morning, the book of Hebrews, in terms of its outline, in terms of its big picture structure, is like this. It has seven main points and six warnings. Seven main points and six warnings. That's actually something that's somewhat easy to remember. Seven is the number for completeness. So just remember, the complete outline is seven points with six warnings. Now, here's those points. The first point is in chapter one, the first few verses. And that first point is this. Christ is superior to the prophets. Christ is superior to the prophets. Why? Because the prophets were bad? No, because the prophets were incomplete. The prophets were preaching Christ. Christ. Christ is superior because he is the very subject that the prophets were pointing to. So he's superior to the prophets. Second, Christ is superior to the angels. He's superior to the heavenly beings. You want to talk about the superiority of an individual. Start saying they are superior to all of God's messengers. They are superior to all the heavenly beings. We're talking about a pretty significant figure here. That's how Hebrews opens, talking about the greatness of Christ. And then it's under that second point that Christ is superior to the angels that we have the first warning. And that first warning is this. Pay attention. Pay attention. The author of Hebrews ought to have got your attention with saying Jesus is superior to the prophets and he's superior to the angels. Now pay attention to everything I'm about to say. That's the first warning. Now, the third major point of the book here is that Christ is superior to Moses and to Joshua. That's also significant. That ought to grab any attention of a devout Old Testament reader. Moses is one of the greatest figures of the Old Testament. In fact, you might say he's the greatest figure. Maybe right up there with David. Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant. Joshua was the one who led the people of Israel into the promised land that God promised to Abraham, and they conquered it. We're talking about some pretty serious figures here. And yet the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is superior to both of those guys. And then he gives a second warning. He says, don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness, who rejected the gifts of God and died not having received the things that were promised. Don't be like those guys. Follow Christ. Fourth major point of the book is that Christ is superior to Aaron. This is a significant section that we'll spend a few weeks on. And here, where Christ is superior to Aaron, we read that Christ is superior to the Aaronic priesthood. He's superior to all things that the priest did. And we're going to see precisely why he's superior, how he's superior, the points that the author of Hebrews goes through. And under this fourth major point, there's a third warning. And this third warning is don't fall away. Don't fall away. Don't go back to the sacrifices of the old Aaronic priesthood. Hold fast to the sacrifice, once for all time, of our Lord and Savior, Christ's priesthood. Don't fall away. Fifth major point, Christ is superior to the Old Covenant. Now here we have Christ not only superior to particular individuals in the Old Covenant, and not only is he superior to certain institutions like the priesthood, but he's superior to the whole of Old Testament revelation. He's superior to all of it. And so don't go back to it. It was all pointing forward in the first place. And then the sixth major point is that faith is the superior way of the new covenant. And it's here where we have Hebrews 11 giving us by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And by faith, this happened. And by faith, this guy did this. And so on. And we see faith being set at the forefront. But notice that Hebrews is not saying that people in the Old Testament weren't saved by faith. All of his examples about Christian faith come from people from the Old Testament. Okay? Or at least most of his examples. And so what he's saying is that the profound emphasis here is not that you fulfill all of the ceremonial laws and, and you know, do the sacrifices and all that, but the emphasis in the New Covenant is on faith in Christ. And it's there in that, under that sixth point that he gives the last of his three warnings. He says, don't keep on sinning. He says, don't miss the grace of God. And he says, don't refuse to listen to God. And we'll look at each of those warnings and their implications when we get there. And then finally, the last point of Hebrews is the concluding exhortations and the greetings. One final push at the very end of this sermon where he's going to say, Christians, here's what you need to do. And what is it that you need to do? You need to hold fast to Christ. And it is my hope and my prayer that as we go through this series, making our way through the book of Hebrews, that the word of God will urge you to do just that, that you would hold fast to Christ. Any quick questions here before we wrap it up? I'm slightly over time here. All right, let me close this in prayer. Oh, yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah. Second warning under the third point is don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. Oh, sorry, under the sixth. Yeah, the the last three warnings are don't keep on sinning, don't miss the grace of God, and don't refuse to listen to God. I will, just so you know, as we go through this series, I will keep this outline in front of our faces and I'll be repeating it because I want it ingrained in us and I, I, I just think that this helps us keep the big picture in mind as we go through this. All right. All right, let me close this in prayer so we don't go over time too much here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the book of Hebrews, especially this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would open your word to us in these coming weeks as we look at this wonderful book that joins the whole of Scripture together and exalts our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh God, we pray this morning that you would work that knowledge deeply in us and that it would drive us to serve you and to hold fast to your gospel. Pray now, Lord, that you'd prepare us for worship this morning and for the preaching of your word. We pray all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.